The Automotive News Canada podcast is brought to you by Diamond Coat. Did you know Diamond Coat has a 96% claims approval rate? This translates into happy customers and repeat service business. But really, you get much, much more when you become a Diamond Coat dealer. Advantages like in-house chemical manufacturing, product fulfillment, bilingual claim support, and a highly experienced team with decades of F&I experience. Visit DiamondCoat.com to get started. Diamond Coat, we've got you covered. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the March 25th, 2022 episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. I'm your host, Greg Layson, the digital and mobile editor here at Automotive News Canada. We recently caught up with my guest today on the floor of the National Automobile Dealers Association Conference in Las Vegas. And today we'll hear about what it is Canadian auto dealers want and need, how they're preparing to sell electric vehicles, and what hurdles they might encounter in building the dealerships of the future. All that and more when we hear from Canadian Automobile Dealers Association CEO, Tim Royce, on this episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. We started by asking Tim to lay out the main priorities of the Canadian Automobile Dealers Association right now. Right now, we are still focused on the recovery out of the pandemic as one of our main files, so to speak. Uh, there are still a, a lot of discussions with the government on some of the uh, support programs, uh, how they're being slowly wound down, um, and uh, things that can be done to uh, increase the speed of the recovery after the pandemic. So that is still and remains top of mind for, for us on the agenda. Second topic is the uh, transition to EVs. Um, as you know, the Canadian government has uh, announced that they want to implement a mandate of 100% by 2035, and the environmental minister is um, uh, uh, voicing an interest in uh, implementing a 50% mandate uh, by 2030. Uh, so we have uh, only recently launched a uh, campaign in Canada called Roadmap 2035 together with the manufacturing associations um, in Canada to outline what would be required from the industry's perspective um, in order to have a realistic chance of achieving something close to those goals. Um, I should also mention that as part of that initiative, uh, there's also a strong support from um, uh, the unions in Canada, Unifor with uh, uh, Jerry Dias, and uh, also for the uh, Parts Manufacturing Association with Flavio Volpe. Um, then the third uh, file is one that we've been working on for quite some time, which is the impending luxury tax uh, to be implemented in Canada. That's been a, a, a two-year um, struggle and fight, I would say. Uh, the most recent recent uh, iteration of how the luxury tax uh, wanted to be uh, was going to be implemented in Canada, I think, is already a, a good step forward uh, from what we had required. That is now a, a would be a marginal tax, so only the amount above a hundred thousand would be taxed, uh, versus the initial proposal, which was to tax vehicles from dollar one. Um, so that means that a vehicle that costs 120000 that tax would now be $4,000 uh, instead of $12,000 on the previous calculation. So that, that is good. That's progress in the right direction. However, 
uh, we uh, are still uh, fighting and having discussions with the government to come up with a solution and an exemption for BC uh, and Quebec specifically that already have luxury taxes on their books. So those are sort of the three of the, uh, let's say, ongoing um, day-to-day priorities that we're dealing with. And the last one is a strategic uh, one that we've been dealing with with quite for quite uh, some time now, uh, which is the evolving business models uh, being implemented by some manufacturers around the world. I can't share too many details with you right now today, uh, but I think we'll be able to share more of, on that in, in the coming weeks. On the topic of electric vehicles, we asked whether his members supported government EV incentives. Uh, there is a very clear indication that incentives will be required on the path to a higher penetration of electric vehicles. Um, uh, the data just uh, shows uh, in provinces across Canada, between those provinces that have incentives in place uh, and those that don't, and even more importantly, in those provinces that had incentives in place and took them away, you immediately see the effect that has on, on the sales number. So there is no doubt that incentives will be required for some time. Um, as the industry transitions from internal combustions to electric vehicles. They will probably not be necessary forever, but right now when it is time to really kickstart things, um, it will, they will be required. And if you look at the, the, the effects they have in those two provinces where we do have them in Canada, which are British Columbia and Quebec, uh, the results are, uh, speak for themselves. So our uh, provincial association from BC just uh, made a presentation two days ago here uh, at NADA to their counterparts here in the U.S. on the great success they've had in B.C. in administering the EV program on behalf of dealers and the government in British Columbia. And it's interesting to see that the penetration of EVs in British Columbia is higher than it actually is in California on a per capita basis, if you will, right? Um, so it is clear that incentives will be required for, for some time. The other thing is uh, we're also strongly advocating for an alignment of these across borders. So between the U.S. and Canada, we think that that is, uh, will be incredibly important as it will be to not put any additional um, uh, barriers in place, like, for example, only EVs that are produced with a certain content of country XYZ when we're really operating in a free trade zone um, is also part of our advocacy effort. And Tim had a message for dealers who might be a bit apprehensive about selling EVs. I, I get asked that question a lot of times is, is what do you tell dealers that don't want to sell EVs? I don't, I haven't met a single dealer that doesn't want to sell EVs. It is a matter of are their consumers in their demographics, in their regional situation, in their local situation, are the consumers ready? Are they asking for them, yes or no? And those questions are answered very differently if you are in a metropolitan area, uh, like for of a province that has incentives in place, let's take Montreal uh, as an example, or a uh, more rural area um, in somewhere in the western prairies um, where there's actually very limited availability of EVs of the type that you want, right? For example, we all know electric pickups are coming, but they're not available today. So, and if you're in a market that is basically pickups and there's none available, there's there's no surprise that, you know, the, there is no demand for them yet, right? Uh, but they will be coming. So 
in that sense. What we are telling our members is it is coming. Uh, this is how you can best prepare for it. These are the things that we are advocating for together with the manufacturers to change from the government side, from the incentive side, down all the way down to building codes that need to be changed in order that you know people can actually install charging stations where they live. So those are the types of informations that we're sharing with our dealers. But by and large, I would say dealers that have seen are engaged in EVs, they're excited about them. So during our recent CADA summit, we had a dealer panel with basically three dealers on, on different sort of um, uh, parts of, of the adoption curve of EVs, right? With one that is already very, very successful with EVs, uh, one that is uh, on the path there, and one that is starting to make their initial steps in that direction. That was a very, very interesting conversation uh, to be had, but the, the interest is extremely high for, for EVs, and, and dealers are excited to, to sell. As you know, dealers are about product, 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 right? Um, and, and that is what the market is about. So new product coming, dealers are excited about it, and they will sell it. And what about digital retailing? Are dealers fully on board with the idea? From, from our perspective, dealers have, have been at the forefront of digital retailing for, for quite some time. Um, doing a lot of the innovations that then get adopted sometimes by the manufacturers. Uh, it is actually the dealers that are innovating um, uh, on this front, and not just the dealers, but also the suppliers of dealers. So you and I are sitting right now in the hall here of NADA, right? We're looking out, and I'm not going to give the names here because I don't want to do advertising here for these companies, right? But you and I are looking at all these different companies that work with dealers on digital marketing, right? And digital retailing. And all of those solutions are there, right? So this is the power that's coming from the dealers. This is not coming from the manufacturers. All of these companies here are investing millions and billions in this business together with dealers. So um, it, it has been going on for quite some time and, and will continue. So, And I think there's also a lot of confusion a lot of times around what is digital retailing? What does it really mean? Well, I think right now most dealers are, are able to, you know, not just initiate, but uh, uh, almost conclude a lot of their, their paperwork uh, online, right? Um, and sometimes it is the regulator and the lending institutions that are uh, maybe a little bit the bottleneck by requiring things like wet ink signatures uh, and things of that nature, which interestingly enough during the pandemic, the pandemic showed that it can be done differently, especially to those institutions and sometimes to the regulators to say, huh, there is a different way of doing this that will actually uh, improve consumers' experience and will help dealers on that, on that path. We'll be right back after this short break. Diamond Coat has been a leading F&I provider to the retail automotive industry. For over 50 years, our philosophy hasn't changed. For us to provide the best products and services, we need total control over every part of our business. From R&D to manufacturing to claims administration, we do everything in-house. We're committed to introducing the best quality products to the market, and recently, through our partnership with Kix Global, we're able to bring the Kix Locate Theft Recovery System to dealerships across Canada. This covert device can be used within your dealership to track, maintain, and safeguard your assets. No wires, no monthly fees, just full protection. It's this kind of commitment that has made Diamond Coat Canada's most trusted warranty providers for all automotive dealers, manufacturers, and customers. To find out more about our new anti-theft products and programs, visit diamondcoat.com. 
That's DiamondCoat.com to get started. Diamond Coat, we've got you covered. Tim also addressed the current situation in which customers must order and then wait for their new vehicles to arrive. So there is there are there are two things at work here from our perspective. One is the fact that we currently have supply short shortages across the world in different supply chains, and they just got aggravated recently with uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. You've been following the news as well as anybody else. So, and that creates a chronic undersupply that therefore consumers are having to basically sign up for a vehicle and then they receive it sometime later. That is being driven not by a change in how business is done, but that is being driven solely by the supply chain restrictions. So if there's not enough product availability, you end up having that as sort of a consequence. There is, however, a second piece to it, which is so manufacturers wanting to do things differently going forward. By saying going forward on EVs or going forward on this types of vehicles, we will want to have a different business model with you, uh, dear franchise dealer. And that is the topic I was alluding to in the beginning that we've been doing a lot of work with. Uh, we've been sharing that. We've been also uh, with other associations around the world. We've also been learning from other associations around the world that have been dealing with some of these topics ahead of us, like Australia, like the UK, uh, and some other countries in the EU, uh, and also in China. Uh, and we're also sharing our uh, findings with NADA. Uh, we just had a meeting yesterday uh, on those topics uh, and again today. And uh, we will probably be able to share a lot more of that in a couple of weeks. And in terms of inventory itself, we asked for Tim's idea of the ideal level of inventory on dealer lots. I, I don't think there's ever an, an ideal level, right? Uh, because it also depends on what business model you are running. If you are a dealership that is concentrated on volume, um, then the answer to that might be very different than you're, if you're a, a dealer that's concentrated on gross retention, for example. So I don't think there's a, there's one, one answer to what's an ideal uh, inventory level. Our take on where things are right now, we expect that things are starting to, uh, I, I don't want to say get back to normal, but are starting to improve and we should start to see substantial improvements towards late spring, early summer of this year. We will, however, still be dealing with uh, particular issues probably throughout the year, but not a, on a, as a widespread basis as it was last year. Having said that, the impact and full impact of the Russian invasion and aggression of Ukraine uh, will probably still be assessed in the, in the coming weeks, and that might change the equation. And when things do normalize, what happens to margins and dealer expectations? When uh, we share with the dealers our perspective that things will start to normalize late spring, early summer, the immediate question I get, is it late spring or is it early summer? So around the exact timing on it, where from our perspective, the more important piece is how quickly that pendulum will swing from undersupply to a potentially oversupply situation again. 
that velocity is much more important than the actual timing of when that swing starts to happen. We ended our conversation by talking about the dealerships and showrooms of the future. So when it comes to, to facility requirements, uh, this is uh, one of the things that the pandemic also highlighted in a certain way is where investments should be made and where resources should be focused, which is on process systems, customer interaction, and not necessarily that money or resources investment uh, invested in, let's change the color of the towel in the showroom to a shade, two shades darker or lighter on the Pantone scale, uh, to pull it mildly. So we as CADA uh, advocate strongly to all manufacturers to have a very close and critical look and relook at their uh, facility plans and to also provide our members with the necessary details as they progress towards EVs. Case in point, this is from one actual manufacturer who were a dealer that's building a brand new facility of that brand, ask a, I would say, fairly simple question, which is, for EVs, can I still use in-ground hoists? He's building a new facility, in-ground hoist, if he builds with in-ground hoist, as you know, he can probably fit in two, four, or even six more work bays into the same footprint. Uh, however, the EVs might have different requirements when it comes to that because of how the vehicle is supported on it, or will they require the outside uh, lifts? Uh, said dealer had to wait for eight months to get a response from the manufacturer. That is simply not acceptable. Now. And I assume that that is not an individual uh, aberration. I think that is happening normal. So, uh, cutting our manufacturer colleagues some slack, but nevertheless, uh, guys, please, um, as we progress in this, provide our members with as much information, as accurate information as possible. And when you get the questions from our members regarding those facility requirements, they're not because they don't want to invest more, but because they want to protect their investments as well. Because imagine, by the way, that dealer did get the answer that no, you cannot use in-ground hoist, right? Now imagine if he'd gone ahead and done it anyway or didn't receive the answer and then next thing you know in a couple of years when 50% or 80% might be electric, he has to tear up his whole uh, uh, workshop again. So what's a dealer to do in a situation like that? My advice would be to uh, communicate, communicate, communicate and over-communicate involve the dealers and flexibility that yes even though your preferred solution might be x be open to look at solution y and potentially solution c and to also leverage the knowledge of again the knowledge that you see right here from where we're sitting of all these other booths of suppliers that exist from around the world that also know a thing or two about automotive business and don't think you, you um, uh, have to reinvent the wheel within your OEM, right? So that would be my advice. As I said off the top, we spoke with Tim while he was attending the National Automobile Dealers Association Conference in Las Vegas. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, have a suggestion or simply want to comment, email me at glason at autonews.com. And remember, you can listen to all our previous podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play, or on our website. Just click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. 
That does it for this episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. So long, everybody.